The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Lloyd, today our show is about social media and privacy. There is so much going on in social media if you are in business You have to be on social media or you are going to lose out. So we are going to be speaking with a specialist in social media, Chris Baudreau, and he is going to tell us quite a bit about what's happening, what are the policies, and all that great information. Let me tell you a a little bit about Chris Baudreau's, uh, Boudreaux's wonderful background. He leads global development of CRM, which is Customer Relation Management, and social business offerings for Accenture clients. He also serves as global social media architect to Accenture's Fortune 100 clients across industries and various uh, realms. And in prior work, he led business transformation programs at Fortune 100 companies, including Boeing and Bank of America. Additionally, he created and led the strategy and measurement practice at the social media agency Conversion, where he served brands including IBM, Ford, Univision, and Walmart. And his writings, which I have seen, and that's one of the ways I found him, his writings have been featured by industry researchers and journalists, including Forrester, Gartner, Harvard Business Review, and more. And as an active industry leader, Chris is also a governing member of the Word of Mouth Marketing Association where he serves on the member ethics advisory panel. And he's been helping social media uh, brands with social media since 2005. And he created socialmediagovernance.com in 2008. And that helps organizations improve their use of social media. So if you're an organization, a small business, medium business, or a large business, and you're driving by, or even with the University of California, Irvine, where we're sitting here right now, This is important stuff for you to know if you are in social media. And what's exciting is um, later this year, Chris and his co-author, Susan Emmerich of IBM, will be publishing a new book that he's going to tell us about with lessons and frameworks to help large organizations empower and enable their employees in social media with great business value and also protecting the brand. So you can learn more um, at socialmediagovernance.com slash book. And we'll tell you a little bit more about this later. But thank you so much, Chris, for joining us from Texas. 
Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So tell us, um, your, tell us about this book, and, and do you have a name for the book already? Uh, the the name for the book is still being determined. We're we're still t- uh, finishing up the manuscript now, but uh, there uh, over the past few years, uh, you know, large organizations have started to realize that you know most of their employees are in social media for personal reasons, and a few for for work related reasons, and uh, it's it's a huge opportunity for them to. Uh, potentially get some of those employees to uh, you know, help the brand uh, advance some of their goals. Maybe it's things like um, Zappos, where employees love to talk about Zappos and the company. And, and a lot of it has been written around companies like Dell and, and, and Cisco and, and some other uh, primarily technology companies who um, kind of realized the power of this and kind of gave all their employees permission to use social media and said, please, by all means, say great things about our company. Uh, and of course, IBM is another one that's, uh, been, that's been out in front. But what's happening for most companies now is that uh, they look at that and say, gosh, well, it'd be, it's one thing to just sort of give everyone permission uh, and maybe provide a little bit of training on how to use Twitter, for example. But how do we actually... Uh, do this in a way that's scalable and consistent and uh, really creates meaningful business value while also uh, uh, making sure that it's a win-win for the employees themselves. Yes, and so this book is really about how to do that at large scale. So it's you know the next generation of employees in social media. Oh, I think it's so important. And, you know, I'm a fellow with the Poneman Institute, and so we have talked with many of the chief privacy officers about the programs that they've set up within their own companies, like Procter & Gamble has their own in-house social media and what the rules and policies are for, you know, besides using Facebook and all, LinkedIn and all of those others, right. a lot of companies are setting up their own in-house social media for everybody to connect with each other, which is, I think, very creative as well. But there's a dark side, too. In fact, recently in the newspaper, we saw that here in Orange County, California, um, an employee was on Facebook, and um, the particular company I'm not going to mention uh, was in hot water in the newspaper, and there was a lot of scandals going on. And this person had been a, an employee for a really long, long time with the company, and so he joined in on Facebook as to what the scandal was, and he was immediately fired, of course, after being there many, many years. And so I don't know exactly what's going to happen with that, but there's that dark side as well, isn't there? There is. There certainly is risk when people who are not professional communicators suddenly have the power of the Internet to broadcast their thoughts and ideas and messages. And they may, you know, usually are not really prepared for that power, really. Um, so it does, it, it, it can bring risk to folks who, uh, who maybe aren't accustomed to that. Yes. Which is just about everyone right now. I know, I know. It's like the Wild West, I think. You know, and then you've got these policies, because I know you're very, um, you know, adept at these kinds of policies and I think you've got this this challenge because you've got the First Amendment rights when people are, you know, writing at home on their computer uh, on Facebook, which is not an in-house social media. 
And then you've, but you've also got this employee loyalty and the employee, uh, you know, commitments that people have. So how do you balance that? Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think part of the challenge is that sometimes folks get confused a little bit around all of the different things that, that are, that can affect the outcomes of, of this kind of this topic because there's your First Amendment rights, which are very important. Then there are potentially other laws that may apply depending on the industry that you work in. So, for example, if you sell investment products, the federal government has regulations that apply to what you can say and how long what you say has to be archived and those kinds of things. And then there are employment agreements, which can you know, run a wide gamut of terms um, and conditions, uh, you know, assuming that the employer and the employee agree to it, right? So, uh, you know, it, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, if you go to a, a work party and say inappropriate things to your boss, then you could risk losing your job, right? And yes. that has nothing to do with digital or social or anything like that. Or if you reveal confidential information into a public venue or, you know, these kinds of things right. have always existed. Um, and I think now it's just a little bit easier for people to get themselves into trouble to some extent. And then on the other side of the coin is that um, a lot of employers aren't necessarily getting out ahead of this and establishing clarity on what they consider to be acceptable or not and making sure that employees understand uh, you know, where the boundaries lie within the culture and the context and the regulatory environment of that organization. Um, and then beyond that, for those employees, you know, for a certain set of employees at lots of organizations, there usually need to be some terms that are clarified in the employment agreement around what's okay and, and maybe what's not okay. Yeah, and I think that's what's really important is that there has to be upfront disclosure to both the employee and the employer exactly what are what are the rules and regulations? What am I committed to here if I'm going to take this job? And I think that's where it's been kind of uh, cloudy and, and nebulous, and so people don't always know what they're to do. And right. That, yeah, and, and there was uh, there have been cases where employees were, were responsible for creating social media and for really for the benefit of the employer. And then then they leave the company and the employer is left without the social media, without the followers, because that employee takes their followers with them. What about that? Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, the overriding rule is companies need to establish some agreement with the employee about what they're going to do if that happens. And then when you reach, when you hit that situation, everything's fine. But what's happened is the whole situation, you know, the possibility has sort of taken a lot of people by surprise because this is all very new. And so, um, you know, on the one hand, you have companies like IBM, which are enabling their employees in social media, and they're saying, please, you know, build your social media presence, your personal presence, you know, your Twitter account, your blog, you own that, but we're going to help you. We're going to give you training. We might even give you content. We want you to be strong in social media because you represent our brand. And there's a high level of trust in their culture. And if the employee leaves, those accounts are theirs. And that's fine because everybody knows, everybody agrees. It's no big deal. And they're both kind of making a joint investment. And it's a little bit like a salesperson who develops relationships at particular accounts and then leaves 
unless there's an agreement in place to say you can't sell to those people, that's just, you know, life, right? Um, On the other hand, there was a a case uh, at a company called uh, Phone Dog, I believe, that was written about uh, a lot, uh, where an employee created, I think it was a Twitter account, and built a following and then left the company and changed the handle or the, the, the name of the account and uh, took it kind of for themselves. And so the company sued and wanted reimbursement from that person um, on the order of you know, a few dollars per follower, which turned out to be a whole lot of money. Wow. And um, you know, so they, because they hadn't really agreed to anything beforehand, they had to turn to the courts to, to tell them what to do, which isn't really you know, isn't the ideal place to be. No. So, you know, so really it's about, you know, if you've got marketers or corporate communications people or any other employees and you're expecting them to do things in social on behalf of the company, make sure you're both clear on who owns this account. And if you, if you change jobs within the company or you leave the company or whatever, you know, what's going to happen uh, so that, when folks take on these responsibilities, there's no misunderstanding about what they're getting out of it and what they can take with them when they leave. Right. And, and you gave a very good example. It's like a, a salesperson who has, you know, uh, a whole set of, of clients that he wants to take with him to the new company. And really there is such things as non-compete clauses right. and, and not taking the, you know, that you can't take your list of clients with you. So it, yeah, we're at the next level of this Wild West to kind of develop these guidelines and what's considered reasonable and fair and under the circumstances, what is everybody willing to agree to? Right. So when you're talking about training, I really love that because a lot of companies um, are starting to do training. I know that, but a lot of companies aren't. And so what are some of the gaps that we have in, in training for to you know for employees? Well, a few years ago, um, most brands were very focused on protecting themselves and not spending enough effort uh, helping the employees protect themselves. I think a, a lot of brands have changed that. There's still some that need to catch up. Um, but most of the training that I see these days talks about how to stay safe when you're using social media, especially because a lot of companies are encouraging their employees to use it because of the benefits it can have for the brand. But the gap that I still see in a lot of social media training for employees is, uh, is, is about the audience more than even the content in that brands aren't training managers as, you know, re- re- about their responsibilities and the limitations on their powers as a manager with respect to social media. So there have been cases, uh, um, one in particular that was settled where, some managers at a restaurant forced employees at the restaurant to surrender their login credentials to a, a closed group on MySpace, a private group on MySpace, so the managers could go into the group and see what the employees were talking about. Turned out they were saying bad things about the managers, talking about uh, some illegal activity that, uh, you know, unfortunately isn't completely uncommon around, uh, among <laughs> the younger demographic. Right. And, uh, you know, and so the managers found out about it, and they fired, and then they got sued for firing them because they forced them to divulge those credentials. And so there are a lot of things like that where it's not just about the typical be authentic, respect copyright, 
mean, that's all been around for a few years now. It's more of, you know, it's a lot like sexual harassment training where you, you get promoted to manager, you need to know what the boundaries are. Yes. And it just needs to be part of that core manager training. So that's that's the biggest hole that I see for a lot of companies now. Right. And and I think, you know, um, the, it, we're really kind of up in the air about these policies in, in the courts with regard to forcing employees to give their passwords to their link to their well LinkedIn is usually pretty okay but but to their Facebook and and their other social media websites and so you know we um we had a case recently where a juror in a right here in California the juror mm-hmm. was basically um, writing on his Facebook about the the jury trial <laughs> during the um, during the the actual trial, and of course it was a criminal trial, and the defense a- attorney wanted to say that you know the the case should be thrown out because this was juror misconduct, and wanted the wanted to force the judge and wanted the judge to force the juror to give up his password. So that became the issue of whether he should give up his password so people could look at his entire account or just look at what was said there. So um, very interesting, this whole issue of being forced to give up your password and, you know, when you have a closed account as opposed to an open account. So what do you think um, is is going to be happening with that in terms of of, uh, policies and what's legal? Yeah, I, I I think that companies, most companies have figured out it's a really bad idea to ask an interview candidate or a job candidate to surrender their Facebook credentials because, uh, number one, you might encounter information that tells you they're in a protected group yes. and expose yourself to a discrimination claim. You might create the impression that you're not a trustful or respectful employer. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Um, uh, you number three, your IT security team probably spends a lot of time trying to convince people not to ever give up their login credentials, and here you are trying to tell people to give up their login credentials. Right. So kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah. So that you know that's not good. Um, and then you you're basically creating an environment. You're you're sort of telling your employees and especially your managers that it's okay to violate people's privacy. Mm. Right? Yeah. So if you do it on a job interview, well, why can't you do it whenever you feel like it? Right. Why can't you just walk up to one of your employees and say, hey, you know, whatever, you, weren't, you were late for work, I want to log into your Facebook or whatever, right? Yes. Um, and it just creates a whole bunch of risks that, you know, no company really wants to take on once they realize what they've done. So even if you just put aside the fact that, you know, personally I feel it's not the right thing to do, um, it it also just creates a bunch of risk for the company that's not good. Yes. And so we have students that are listening here on the campus, and they should be seriously thinking about um, closing their account, their, pri- their uh, Facebook account, and being ke- very, very careful about what they put up on the websites anyway, right? <laughs> <this> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> because, well, not necessarily closing, but at least making them 
making yeah. setting all the privacy settings to be private. But yeah, yes, but uh, but even yeah, and even with the privacy settings, sometimes people accept friends that they don't know who they are, and they think that That's they, right. you know. I mean, I remember one time I did an interview with a bunch of teenagers because we were worried about teenagers accepting friends, and I had this one. I had like five teenagers that I interviewed all over the country for one show, and this one kid said to me, oh, I'm very careful about my friends. I said, oh, really? I said, well, how many friends do you have? Oh, I have 650 friends. I said, how many of those do you really know? <laughs> you know, and uh, that's the problem is sometimes you accept friends who you don't know. So that, uh, that that's a problem, too. So even if you do set your privacy settings, if you let friends in that might not be your friends, that's that's a problem. Or if your friends are no longer your friends, they might repeat what you said. So those are the issues. But speaking about privacy, what, how are you seeing brands thinking about protecting, protecting their own customers' privacy now? Um, well, you know, it, the data on the web is a pretty uh, complex place these days because uh, there are organizations are managing customer relationships and transactions to some extent inside of social networks, right? So you can do all kinds of things inside of Facebook now without people even coming to your own website. And uh, so, you know, all of these things that people are doing is uh, observable, right, in those areas. Uh, Then there are a wide array of social plugins that allow you, you know, if you own a website, they make it very easy to add features to your website, like log in with Twitter or log in with Facebook or, you know, share this and, or, you know, sharing content, making it very easy to do. And every time you, a website owner puts one of those on their website, they're giving away information about what their visitors are doing and who they are to whoever produced that plugin. And uh, I think a lot of website owners don't really realize that they're doing that. And beyond that, they don't realize the value that they're losing, even just business value that they're losing, let alone sort of privacy of their visitors that they're kind of giving away. Um, And I know you've had folks uh, on your show talk about that uh, in the past. Um, But I think that, that, that companies are wrestling with all of that and trying to figure it out, frankly. And that's just all of the data that's going on, you know, sort of outside the company. Then you have to think about all of the things that are happening inside of your company of data that you're gathering and and privacy protections along that, which is a little bit more of a mature uh, environment. Um, And then we start to think about cloud computing and mashing up applications and and things that are hosted on other people's servers. And we're trying to bring data from different places to to create insights about customers to personalize services or, uh, you know, give them um, better quality of service or, you know, those kinds of things. And it it just becomes a very complex place for anyone who's who's managing the data and trying to think about privacy. Yes. so it's not it's not a simple place <laughs> to work, and it's it's not a uh, you know there are no simple answers there right now. Right. Um, how, how do we service our our clients and our customers in the best way possible and respect their privacy and and you know the the 
so-called target marketing, which at least to some extent provides me a, a, a very unique and specialized way of serving me. On one hand, that's great, but, you know, on the other hand, it's a little spooky sometimes that they know that much about me. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what I mean? And then sometimes they, they're wrong. They get it wrong. You know, if I visit a website on a certain kind of illness or something, um, and maybe it's a friend. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just worried about a friend. So I could be uh, misconstrued. So there's, it, it is, it's, it, we are in the wild west of all this. Uh, right. of, of information right. and, and privacy. But getting back to the social media, we talked a, a little bit about the risks, but I, I do think that there's a lot of benefits, and so do you. So what are some of the reputational benefits for the companies and their employees who actually embrace social media? Because I know you promote that. Yeah, I, well, I think social media in and of itself isn't necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, right? I mean, it's, it's a little bit like a car, it could be used for good or it can be used for evil. Um, and it just depends on the folks who are using it. And so, uh, you know, for, for a company um, that has a, has a good culture and a positive culture and, uh, you know, truly does try to serve employees or customers well and, and really tries to uh, have a positive impact on their, you know, the environment or, 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 or um, the world, then social media can be a great tool to let employees uh, show that to the world, right, and share that, and also create dialogue um, with folks outside the organization to to bring ideas in, to bring feedback in, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, as you were mentioning before, for internal social networks, um, a big part of my job here is helping uh, large organizations implement uh, internal social applications, um, as well as integrating those with external social networks and things like that. Um, but you know, social applications internally can make it much easier to for employees to connect, collaborate, and share ideas. And so, if you think about you know, if you're on Facebook, how much easier it is to to stay up to speed with you know what your cousins are doing or your you know your brother's new baby or whatever. You know, the same kinds of things uh, hold true with internal social networks within organizations. So, um, And those social networks within organizations are, you know, I mean, I think about all the listservs that I'm on, too. Right. And how right. I can reach out, I can mentor others, and they can mentor me, and I can learn new things. And, I mean, that that's that beauty of being on things for, you know, the American Bar Association, I'm on their technology you know, social network and, and the same thing with the Orange County Bar. And, oh, my goodness, I share so many resources. So, I mean, there are those advantages as well. As right. long as people follow the rules, you know, every once in a while on some of the social network, people get nasty. And then what I've found is as, so, as soon as somebody says something that appears to be nasty, everybody else kind of jumps down their throat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I mean, social media is, to me, it's a lot like walking down the street in Manhattan. Right. Yeah. Most people uh, probably keep to themselves. If you say hi, they'll probably say hi back. If you trip, they'll help you up. You know. Yeah. It, yeah. It, every once in a while, you walk by somebody who says something that you you know you can't understand why they seem to be so angry at you because you've never met them before in your life, but you just kind of go on about your business. And for the most part, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think yeah, certainly. Um, 
Actually, I've I've yeah. seen on my on my social networking sites with um, you know with attorneys that when somebody says something that puts somebody else down, everybody else says we don't we don't like that. <laughs> right, right. So I mean, your your reputation can be ruined on on social networking, and I think that's something. If you say something off color or you say something offhandedly, or you you think you're being cute, and somebody takes it in a way that's not cute. Um, that's one of the dangers in social networking as well, is kind of having that whole kind of um, being socialized to social media. Right, right. And that's, you know, it's, it's um, I think that's, you know, that's one of the two things for the, for the folks that you were talking about it, that are maybe still in school to think about is that, uh, you know, they are building their reputation. So everything they publish if 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 someone accuses them of something or or lashes out at them, people are going to go look at what they've done in the past and make a decision about whether or not that accusation is you know valid or reasonable or justified or those kinds of things. Yes. Um, and so you can you can spend all of your effort building a a, a very valuable reputational asset for yourself. Or not, right? <laughs> yeah. Or um, you, can, or you can build it, and then somebody destroys it. So um, right, yeah, right, yeah. So, so yeah. So we are in this brave new world, and um, I can't wait to see your book. If you send me your book, we'll do a whole nother show to talk about all the great things that you're writing. Yeah, I would love to. That would be fantastic. Well, we are just out of time, so just give your website, and we will have you back again. It'll be great. Thank you. It's socialmediagovernance.com. We appreciate that. Chris Boudreaux, he is with Accenture, and your website is socialmediagovernance.com. Thanks so much, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy and write us about what's important to you, privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.